Welcome to this episode of Dad Bod History. Uh, I'm Jake. We got Jeff and Eric on tonight. We got a special guest, Cliff Nordyke. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I know we're filming on a Saturday, and tomorrow is obviously Sunday. Do you guys have any Mother's Day plans? Well, uh, none of us. Well, my mother lives in Arizona, and I live in Texas. Um, my youngest daughter is in town visiting in Texas and uh, she's pregnant. So she's due in October. So this is, uh, I think technically her very first mother's day. So we're excited about that. And Mm -hmm. um, her boyfriend is here and his family is actually on the way to the house right now from Mississippi. So we're going to have a good old fashioned homemade mother's day brunch here at the house tomorrow. Um, Belgian waffles, only $74 a head. So anybody who's in the area, come on by and uh, we'll, we'll help you out. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. I I don't know what it is about Mother's Day that just allows restaurants to just is it really stick it to you, man? I mean, why is the Mother's Day buffet seventy dollars? They know know there's no husband or father or or like son in that group that's gonna be like, Whoa, what's with the prices here? Because they're gonna be like, Really? What you gave wife you gave life to my children, but seventy-four bucks? I don't know. Yeah, but this is the same man who will not let anybody touch the thermostat. I'm not doing the expensive buffets. I've been doing the Mother's Day at home for years. And I think you get extra points. You know, you make camp pancakes, some eggs made to order, some flowers in the middle of the table. So we'll be making. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Me and me and Langston and not my son. He's not ready, but we'll make breakfast for mommy tomorrow. That's probably going to be the big thing. And then her and I are going to go out and buy a gift for mommy uh, as well. Cause we went shopping today and like my wife bought all these mother's day cards in links. And it's like, daddy, we got to get mommy something, but we can't let her see us doing it. I'm like, no, 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 we'll get her something. Don't worry. And uh, <laughs> so we're going to do a secret mission uh, tomorrow to get her a gift, but we'll, we'll cook her breakfast and start. That's how we'll start. Well, I'm going to have to do brunch at home because we called today to get reservations. And literally the guy laughed at me. He's like, <laughs> it, he goes, you're, you're calling on a Saturday afternoon. He said, it's going to be a madhouse tomorrow. And no, we don't have any seats available. I'm like, yeah, okay. Mother's and Day and Valentine's Day. <laughs> exactly. Those are the two days where they can charge whatever they want. Mother's Day is actually the busiest day of the year for restaurants in the United States. So is it? Uh, yeah. Every man. year. I guess that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. the men don't want to cook. Or can't in some cases. Yeah. That's also true. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I'll probably make some breakfast and, uh, <clears throat> you know, eggs, bacon, pancakes. The kids might help. I may have to run out. I think we're low on the pancake mix mm-hmm. uh, early, but uh, my mom's also flying in tomorrow night uh, to hang out for the week. And so I'm probably also going to be buying like a dinner on the way home. Uh, kind of take out, you know, pull up somewhere, get some takeout and bring it home and with all the kids and stuff, but mostly laid back and I've got some errands to run. Oh, thank you. I calendar mother's day is tomorrow. Okay. Pop up at that moment. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty laid back. You know, my wife and I, we, we tend not to get too heavy into the gifts on these kind of holidays uh, for each other. And so I got a so, question. What, did you, do you guys ever have, a, when you're either a kid or, you know, for your moms or with your wives, did you ever have like a go-to gift? And I'll start my, like when I was, when I was, you know, obviously younger and then I got into high school and college, my go-to gift for Mother's Day for my mom was always Gloria Jean's coffee. And Gloria Jean's is like this coffee bean, supposedly gourmet coffee in like the Midwest chain that they had. And so I'd always go there. I go to get the Gloria Jean's black roast coffee, get it all ground up, put in the fancy bag. And that would be my go-to gift for my mom for Mother's Day. Uh, For my wife, a lot of times it's like, I'll buy her roses, but like I'll buy her like a rose bush and then we'll plant it together on Mother's Day because she doesn't like getting bought cut roses because they wilt and die. So that'll usually 
be our, our go-to gift for her on Mother's Day is to go buy a potted plant or something that we can grow. Do you guys have anything like that, like a go-to gift or is it unique every year? Or I don't know. You know, when, when I was a kid, I'd always bring something home, some crap I, they made, made out of macaroni at school or <laughs> some, yeah. some, some thing with tongue depressors, a crappy little Eiffel Tower or whatever. So, yeah, you know, and mom makes a fuss and hangs it on the fridge and all that. And so... No, I'm more modern. Gift cards. There you go. Yeah. And and now that Amazon has them by email, it's like no brainer. Well, with Amazon, you can always feel like, (laughs) honey, why don't you just get yourself for Mother's Day? (laughs) (laughs) Since since I can't figure it out by asking a series of questions. I don't want to do all this thinking. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to pay for whatever you want. What did Jeff Bezos give you for Mother's Day, sweetie? (laughs) You know what we are doing tomorrow, actually? We're going to go buy a vacuum. So I might just count. Wow. <laughs> Household appliance for Mother's Day. That's bold. That is gutsy, Cliff. Gosh. Only you. Only you. I remember my, my wife once asked for something. And it might have yeah, been yeah. anniversary gift, birthday gifts, and it was an appliance. And I looked at her, I said, Are you sure? Like, I'm not going to get in trouble for that. Feels like, like a all trap. Right. This isn't a trap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How could you? Well, actually, I'm getting a special one. I'm getting one of those ones that's actually a leaf blower vacuum. Oh, it's a real... Wait, you're yeah. just buying yourself a gift? No, I'm getting one so she can suck up the dog hair in the house. <laughs> and then you can blow it out the front door? Exactly. <laughs> it's like... Uh, I think this thing needs the, to sponsor this podcast, what was whatever the, this device what was, is. Uh, the thing in Spaceballs, Jeff. Turn it from blow to suck. Mega made. Blow. It was mega it made. A, mega made. That's it. That's what it was. We've gone from suck to blow. Blow. <laughs> Man. Okay. That's awesome. That's yeah. Great. Um, all right. Well, uh, before we get into our episode, we're going to start a, a series on, I guess, Bad Men of God. We're we'll probably do a three-week series on that. And that's what's bringing Cliff on for this episode. He's going to talk to us about Porter Rockwell. And we're really excited to get into that. But before we do, Dadbot Histories is brought to you by Transworld Business Advisors. If you own your own business, then you know the challenges of dealing with employees, customers, social media, government regulations, and the rest of it. With the pandemic coming to an end... Thank God. There are hundreds of buyers coming to the marketplace looking for existing businesses to buy. If you're ready to cash out, whether it's your business or Dogecoin, you need to call Transworld Business Advisors today. They have a database loaded with interested buyers and have over 40 years of experience in the industry. They will guide you through setting a price for your business. They have a database with sales data from tens of thousands of sold businesses, and they know the market price for your listing. Transworld business advisors will find qualified buyers with their extensive reach and market leading advertising. Transworld will ensure that the closing process goes as it should. When you leave the closing table, you will get paid in real fiat currency and will be free of liability and responsibility. Does Transworld accept cryptocurrency yet? Do we know? (laughs) Or pay out in it? Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty much American dollars. So oh okay, we're still dollars. Okay, those are still good. All right. Uh, if you are a buyer, Transworlds can help you as well. From evaluating a business to helping with funding, they are there for you all the way to your first day as the owner of your own business. All today to set up a discreet, discreet. and confidential consultation with a local representative. You can reach Jeff Peterson at 903-422-6818, or you can go to www.tworld.com. Again, that is www.tworld.com. Boom. All right. Um, Every time I feel like we're getting better. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm so glad we didn't just like cut one together and drop it in because doing it fresh (laughs) every time. It's exciting. Oh, good. Yeah. I love getting paid to talk. And so this is really working out for me. Well, and it gives future sponsors an idea of the amount of enthusiasm that DadBod history brings to, you know, getting the ideas across that our sponsors want brought to the it, table. It's and very the range of our, like Jake and I have a great range in our voice. Do we? Well, I was always told by my students that my my range was just loud that was it i just got louder 
like my affect didn't change. Trans world business advisors yeah. like that. <laughs> Dapot history. Like it wasn't like, <laughs> like uh, when Will Ferrell played uh, Janet Reno, that's what my range was. <laughs> anyway, oh. what are we talking about? Okay. So no, bad I have a question. Oh, sorry. Before we get into Porter, I have a question for Cliff. So uh, can I plug your Instagram here, Cliff? Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, Mormon pipes. That's it. And it's not plumbing. It's, it's tobacco pipes. So, <laughs> it is. <laughs> so Cliff, so I, we told Eric about having yeah. you on as a guest. And I think yeah. Jeff's like, well, he's got like 5,000 followers on Mormon no. pipes. And Eric's like, what the hell? Does he just do a lot of plumbing and he's a Mormon? And it's like, no, pipes, like smoking. Like, he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, so Eric, I don't know if you've noticed the wall behind Cliff, but that is a mere fraction of that man's tobacco collection. It is it, impressive and oh, it yeah. is literally known to tobacco enthusiasts yep. around the world. So that's pretty amazing. I don't know. I don't know how to pick good tobacco. So those are like, all cans. I, en I enjoy right, cigars. I have a, a cheap pipe and I put some cheap tobacco in it. I don't know that much about that. I'm not saying I'm not open to it. I'm just not there yet. But I have a question <clears throat> yep. regarding pipes. So I came across, and I may have to throw this up. Uh, I was teaching World War II this past week. I've been teaching it for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the Pacific. And I threw this picture up there of Douglas MacArthur. And you might know yep. the picture I'm talking about. And he's got the yep. pipe where the, the bowl is like the length of a Churchill cigar. Okay, so, but the bowl doesn't go all the way down. It doesn't. Okay, so no. my question is, how effective is that as a pipe? Um, they still make them today. It's a Missouri Mersham, and they were the ones that made them for him. And they make them in a little town in Missouri. They're the. I've got a bunch of Missouri Mershams right here. I mean, you can see their their logo. Okay. okay. But that's a corn cob there. But they have all different styles. And MacArthur just used that's the style he, and that's basically what they sell. It's a MacArthur so, pipe. I mean, it looked like the stem went into the the middle of that <clears throat> bowl, but it, it, it does, and that's where the, that's where the bottom of the bowl will hit right here. Okay, that was my question because yep. I do know something about physics, and I figured that would make for a difficult smoke. It would, it would. All right, I mean, I love so, it. Yeah, I don't know pipes, but I know Tim physics. will go into just the bottom of the bowl. Yeah, yeah. interesting. I just and I showed <laughs> that picture to my students. I'm like. I don't know what's happening here because this looks like a ridiculous pipe he has. Um, so, okay. Question answered. All right. So let's uh, get in. So what we're going to do tonight is uh, we're going to talk, well, Cliff is going to tell us about uh, Porter Rockwell, who is a, you know, his Wikipedia entry, you think calls him a, a bodyguard. I think that's like his official title, but uh, he was more than that. He, he was a, a friend of Joseph Smith's founder of the, the Mormon church or Latter-day Saints. And uh, he's kind of the inspiration for a lot of wild West type movies. I think John Wayne quotes one of his lines in one of his movies and he does. He's kind of this larger than life figure. And he's almost mythical from what I read about, you know, like there's not, I mean, he was real and he did a lot of stuff, but he didn't write. I don't even know if he could read. And so there's just he not could. a lot of primary sources, you know, from him directly that that's it. Well, here's what I did on this day and this day and this day, but um so yeah, yeah let's not, get into it cliff okay yeah and, and all not a lot of people back then were literate anyway so um mm -hmm. and he was very successful business-wise as well being illiterate but uh that's part of the myth of it because he never kept a diary so actually what really happened and stuff a lot of it's made up if you ask google i think she says though she they he killed like up to 150 men in this in his time but when they actually start going through and figuring out i think it's more like between 50 and 100 that he killed but more than uh, most all the lawmen fat masterson and all those guys put together so he was uh he was definitely convicted in his ways and his beliefs and had yeah. a narrow perspective on anything other than what he believed so and he was one to shoot first and ask questions later yeah i gathered that uh <laughs> where, where did he i guess I mean, I think he was born somewhere in the East Coast or on the East side of the country, but I guess yeah, his story didn't really start until he met up with Joseph Smith, right? Like that's well, what he met Joseph Smith. So he was born in Massachusetts. His family moved to New York, upstate New York, 
um, and they moved by the Smiths. So when Porter was young, really young, he his families were friends with the Smiths. So he looked at Joseph more like an older brother, mm. a mentor, and and whatever. So he became pretty much enamored with Joseph. And when he was 16, he was actually when they were trying to get the Book of Mormon going and get it printed, he would actually cut wood and pick berries and take them into town and sell them to help raise money for the printing of the Book of Mormon. So oh, wow. he's uh, yeah, he was he was there from the very, very beginning. And when actually the, the day the church was organized, uh, him and his family and some others, they were the first members baptized. So, OK, some of the first some of the uh, high for the Joseph and others were baptized before. But when they actually organized the church, they were the uh, Oren was one of the first ones baptized. And I think and he was probably 16 or 17 at the time. Okay, in, and in, I was going to say, that, was that Missouri? No, that's New York. This okay. is all in New York. So and you said Orin because it's Orin Porter Rockwell, right? Yep. Just yep. to clarify. Yep, that's his real name, Orin Porter Rockwell. So, I mean, the church's history, you know, they go from New York to Ohio to uh, Missouri to Illinois. So that's kind of the migration. And people say, well, why didn't they just go west? Well, at that time, the frontier stopped, you know, in Missouri and Illinois. That's that was it because mm -hmm. everything else was Indian territory. So um, until later. But yeah, so they uh, so Porter, you know, believed in Mormon theology and, and just embraced it and all that uh, pretty much like I did. But um, so. He moved with the church. They moved into Ohio. They had some issues there with the church. Um, as they got into Ohio, things things changed, and the the church had to leave. There was some infighting in the church, and some the the neighbors didn't like it. And so Joseph Smith left with a small group of people that uh, from the Mormons to a couple um, settlements they had in uh, Missouri. And so that's okay. how they went to Missouri. What what were some of the reasons that they kept moving? You said they moved from New York to Ohio. Yeah, to well, Missouri. let's just take Ohio first. So they got the group of members of the church in Ohio, and there's some things that were going on there. They're getting pressure from the outside, and the the reason they moved is one of them. There were some serious accusations against Joseph for womanizing and doing different things, and so the church there was a lot of internal strife, and so things were just not going well. But but when you look at it, because Mormonism is so new. Their beliefs were kind of far out there for a lot of people to accept, but they were a very powerful group. And so when they would move, they would, there's multiple things that, that happened that as you, as somebody that normal being there, first, you got these huge influx of people. So land values start to increase. So if you're local and want to buy land or use land, all of a sudden these land values are increasing. You can't, people didn't speculate by land back then like they do now. So it just became harder to buy more land to produce food and wood and different things on it. Commodities went way up. Mm -hmm. um, the other Lumber. things too. Yeah. Go <laughs> figure. Yeah. Commodities, food and everything starts going up because you got a lot more people there. So also um, they had a firm opposition to slavery. And in Missouri, that wasn't really taken as keenly, but the probably the biggest thing was that one polygamy, People did not like polygamy, but the biggest thing was the electoral growth, the voting. So at the time in Nauvoo, when they were in not settled Nauvoo at the very end before Joseph Smith killed, they were the second largest city in Illinois, just slightly smaller than Chicago. Oh, wow. So can you imagine that voting populace now that's all Mormon, what they're, the people are thinking? It's just, and that's what happened in Missouri, too. And they, they're going to vote as a monolith right on any issue or particular yeah candidate exactly. they're not going to vote each their own conscience it's going to be kind of a monolithic yeah. vote correct so that scared politicians that scared people that scared lots of things so there, there there's a reasoning behind you you wonder why the extermination order and all that stuff went out well that's why it was just a fear and a panic that this was going to overrun us and overtake us 
Well, and so, I'm glad you brought up the extermination order, Cliff, because that's what I wanted to ask about next. So uh-huh. in 1838 in Missouri, uh, Governor Lilburn Boggs ordered the extermination order to basically remove the Mormons by any means from the state of Missouri. Correct. And, and that led to at least the first story I saw about Porter Rockwell and, and I guess his gunslinging ways and he was, and what he did there. Can you go get into that and what Rockwell was accused of, I guess, with. Yeah, we can can get into that, but let's let's take a look at Porter's psychic at this time, because. Okay. So he was a very, I mean, he'd never gotten in trouble. He was never a fighter. He's never any of that until um, him and his father, when they got into Jackson County, Missouri, they had, they, started a ferry to ferry people across the big blue river. And so that's where they, they happened. So when they were getting harassed by the Missouri mobs and stuff, mm-hmm. um, they came in and they tore down the ferry and they burned everything. And then they came back maybe six months later and did it again. Oh. They, they took Porter's house twice and ransacked it, pulled it thing beat his wife and Eve and stuff. And so a lot of people were killed. A lot of Mormons were killed. Uh, There's the Hans Mill massacre where 17 Mormons, women and children were all killed unarmed. Um, So this was all going on. And Porter vowed at that time when they were leaving that from then on, he will meet violence with violence. And that's when it it turned for him. I mean, when his homes were burned and his wife and all that stuff, that's, he just had to stand by, but from then on, that's, that's when the, the, the switch flipped for him. Okay. So that's kind of, that's kind of where you get there, but yeah. So governor Boggs issued, it was a executive order 44, I think it is. So, and that's the one you just referenced, but uh, so what happened is um, they pretty much left Missouri. So they just went North crossed the line of Missouri into Illinois. And that's where they, they they started they started there and but they always frequently went back to missouri for different things st louis and all that kind of stuff so um now lilburn boggs was no longer governor but porter rockwell somebody when <laughs> lilburn boggs was running for office again uh it was a rainy night and lilburn's sitting in his study and he's got one of his grandkids there and somebody shoots multiple times through his window and shoots him and so almost kills him but doesn't doesn't quite kill him so um later everybody found out porter rockwell was in town so he's arrested so and then that's an amazing story too because he spends 10 months in jail and he's pretty much handcuffed the whole time and they're pretty rough with him they don't feed him very well um he tries to escape one time and so they catch him they handcuff him now they handcuff him his ankle to his his right arm left ankle to right arm and right ankle to left arm and he's that's how he's he can't stand up fully so that's how they keep him now hmm. so and is he's he becomes so emaciated that he can now slip out of his cuffs so he does he slips out of his cuffs and he goes down a stovepipe into the floor below and he tries to escape that way, but that door's locked. <laughs> and so he shimmies back up, puts his cuffs back on. He does this for like five nights in a row. And he's trying to get this door open by any means. And so one night he's so exhausted, he's going to sleep a little. Well, he passes out of sleep and they catch him the next morning sleeping down, <laughs> down, downstairs. So he actually goes to trial and he's acquitted because there's no evidence that he had done the firing or shot into that. And that was after eight months. And then they put him back in jail because he had tried to escape for something he didn't do. So he went back to jail for for that. And it was finally his mom came down and begged and they let him go. But they let him go based on the fact that they knew there were some guys out there that were going to kill him when he left. So he's, he's with his mom and his horse and buggy. And they get to this place in the road and he knows the way that he's supposed to go so he tells his mom you go on and i am gonna walk back to nauvoo so he does and it takes him two weeks to walk to get back to joseph smith's house and he comes up on christmas eve that night and 
he goes into Joseph Smith's house and some guys are there and they're going to, they're going to throw him out. Some vagrant trying to get into the house during this Christmas party, Joseph Smith's happening. And so Joseph Smith says, throw the guy out, you know, but he hears his voice and recognizes it and realizes that it's Porter. Mm. And he is just, he doesn't look the same. You know, he's, he's long hair. He's got a beard. He's as thin as can be. And he, he brings him in and he gives him a blessing right then. And basically that's the blessing that's all the lore is about. He said, you know, you're the, a modern day Samson, basically. And if you don't cut your hair, no blade or bullet will ever strike you. And so when your religious leader tells you that, now all of a sudden you've got that in your mind that you can't be harmed. That's where a lot of these stories come up with that, you know, he was shot six times, but they never passed through his code and all this stuff. So okay. it's uh, pretty amazing. So you got to kind of separate the fact and the fiction and, and, and go from there. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm yeah. curious, Cliff, are, are any of the legends true? Like I've always heard it an attribute to to Porter Rockwell that he uh, he invented the sawed off shotgun. Is that is that more hyperbole? It, was, it wasn't a shotgun. It was a Colt. And so uh, back then, a lot of people, all the gunslingers and stuff, they would wear their guns for everybody to see. And Porter was just the opposite. He hit all his stuff. But he did what he did invent was the sling that came out to pull this Colt out of his out of his coat. So that's one of the things that he he did invent. And some of the stories are true. Some of them are actually in public records. One there was a story of, the, of a kid who was a gunslinger that wanted to kill him because of his name and found him and shot him six times. Well, it just happened so that the kid was a bad shot. <laughs> and so Porter took out his gun and, and shot him at his feet and made him dance and then grabbed him by the neck and said, if I didn't know your father, I'd kill you or your grandfather. Well, it turns out that this kid was the a grandson of Joseph Smith. So, oh. <laughs> and, and nobody knew it at the time, apparently. So, but uh, Porter knew it and that's how, uh, so the legend just grow from there. And you can read the guy emptied 12 shots and all these different things. And he was carrying double guns and the bullets went into Porter's coat and we took his coat off, all the bullets fell off and that none of that's true. So it didn't happen that way. <laughs> Do you happen to know what the uh, population of the church was at that time? Um, boy, I don't. Okay. I'd be uh, curious to know say, how big they were back then. Yeah. I'm, my guess would be around 30,000. Okay. That's significant. A lot of people. No, it is. And, and, and they're kind it of is. traveling as a group, right? I'm assuming well, that they're sticking there's together. Groups all over. No, there's groups all over. So Nauvoo was the biggest one. And I think the Nauvoo population at the time was about 15,000. So, but the church had already expanded into England and Ireland, and there were little settlements elsewhere as well. Were they, in the, were they in the Salt Lake at that time? Were they into the Utah no, Territory? No, no, no one had crossed the territory. So they had no. made it over into Europe before they made it into the Utah Territory. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So huh. mass exodus from Europe coming to the United States, England especially. Well, and, and I mean, they didn't go to Utah until they were basically forced to, correct, right? Like correct. after after they were forced out of Missouri and then Illinois, then that's yeah. when they made the, the trek to, to Utah. Yeah. Um, is that, was, was the trek to Utah after Joseph Smith had died? It is. Okay. It is. So. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Cliff. Um, and when Joseph Smith died, so Porter was with Joseph Smith and Joseph Smith and it was Hiram, his brother. And I can't remember who the other guy was. Um, Willard Richards, Joseph Smith. So things are just getting heated and Joseph Smith announced he was going to run for president of the U S um, and he's got this huge following in Illinois at the time. And so the governor of Illinois wants to meet with him and arrest him for treason and all these things. So Joseph decides that it's time to go west. So he takes Porter, Willard Richards, and his brother Hiram, and they ride, They head off. They actually, you know what? They didn't take Willard at the time. They head off. Well, they're going to ride west. They're leaving. He's leaving his family and everybody behind. The militia's in, in Carthage at the time, Illinois, which is right next to Nauvoo. The governor's coming in. It's just 
this chaotic scene going on and they get across the river and they realize they need more horses. So Porter goes back to get more horses and runs into Willard Richards, who says, hey, you know, I just met with the governor and really they want to talk to Joseph Smith and all this stuff. So he goes back and brings Willard with him and says, you know, hey, this is, and so Joseph listens to Willard and Joseph Smith prophesies. He says, we can't go back. He said, we will, we will die if we go back. Mm-hmm. And, and basically Willard saying, you know what, you can't leave your people. This is the time that you need to stand up and do all this stuff. And so he basically turns to his brother Hiram and says, you know what, you're my brother. What do you think? What should we do? And Hiram says, I think we should go back. And Joseph Smith tells him again, if we go back, you and I will be killed. And Hiram basically says, let's take our chances and let it be in God's hands. So they do. They load up everything and Porter takes him back across the Mississippi and he they arrest him and take him into Carthage. And basically the governor promised everybody that he would be kept safe. And he brought the militia, the Carthage Grays, the militia down there, and they were in charge of keeping Joseph safe. So, which they didn't do. So they were, they were, they were pretty much against the Mormons anyway. So um, they, they were, they were a good part of the reason he was killed. Really. They, they, they're the ones that actually did the, the killing. Okay. So that's, that's the killing of Porter Rockwell you're talking about. No, it's the killing of Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith. Okay. So uh, at Carthage jail when they were in jail. Okay. And so the mob broke through. And uh, so in fact, Joseph Smith had told Hiram because I mean, told Porter, Porter wanted to go with him and Porter, he told Porter said, you stay here. I, you know, I want you staying here with the saints. I want you to protect them. Don't worry about us right now. Mm-hmm. So when he Porter had heard that they were killed, he was extremely upset. He rode through town crying, telling everybody riding the horse through that they killed Brother Joseph. They killed Brother Joseph. And one of the things he did do, he wanted to find out who was running the graves at the time. Um, which person was this guy named Frank Worrell, who who was the head of the graves. And so let what's that the graves? The Grays was the Carthage militia that was hired by the governor, basically, to protect Joseph Smith while while the governor talked with the people. Okay. So, and while the governor's giving this speech about how everybody's going to be great kumbaya deal, they they murder him. Jeez. And so then Porter wanted to find out who the leader of the Grays was? Yeah. So that's that leads us into the the first time Porter's really, besides what we know about Lilburn, he was actually tried a second time for Lilburn because Lilburn sued him civilly. <laughs> and he went to court over that, put in jail, went to court over that, and again was acquitted. So it was pretty wild. But anyways, um, it's funny. So that happened on June 27th of, uh, of 1844. I think that's when Joseph Smith was killed. So it would have been, uh, when was it? Yeah, so September 16th of the next year. So just by happenstance, there was a semi-Mormon sympathizer sheriff uh, named Jacob Blackens, who was in that county at the time. And so he was riding along the road. And this wagon, he passes this wagon. Well, in that wagon and on the horse, actually on horses, was uh, Frank Worrell. Okay. And the guy that was leading the grays. And so they knew that black, they didn't like the Mormons. And they didn't like Blackens because he was somewhat sympathetic. He wasn't a Mormon, but somewhat sympathetic. And they talked about why he was there about basically killing him, you know. And so he got a little spooked and took off on his horse and they started chasing him. So he's riding as fast as he can. These guys are behind him a ways and there's a watering station there and he pulls up this watering station. There's two guys there. And he says, you know, basically, Hey, this is, I'm the sheriff, you know, Jack Blackens. And I deputize both of you to help me with this mob that's coming after me, these guys coming after me. And so they do, they come over the hill. Well, the two guys that were there, one of them happened to be Porter Rockwell. (laughs) So Porter Rockwell 
actually recognized Frank uh, Worrell and shot him a couple times and shot another guy uh, who's the other guy, Robert Smith, who was one of Worrell's friends, shot both of them. And so they turned around, they took Worrell back, put him in the wagon and tried to rush him to get medical help and stuff. Well, Worrell ends up dying. Later that day, Porter Rockwin killed uh, uh, four more people, four more anti-Mormons because he had been deputized. Oh, I bet he like he's like, how lucky am I? I was going to kill these guys anyway, and now it's legal. Like that's yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny back then too that he still had to go to trial over it. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, he went to trial over it, and again, he was acquitted, and it was pretty amazing so yeah that's how uh he got back at frank worrell and those guys this is so, the days before qualified immunity i guess yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it was also the days before police training right you just literally just a guy standing on the road you're a deputy now so okay <laughs> exactly so but uh yeah then he so he was taken into to uh carthage and then to quincy illinois and and stood trial for frank worrell's murder and it was acquitted Huh. And the the jury said he acted in self defense. So, and it is at the same time now that he's appointed to be bringing Young's bodyguard. Since he was Joseph Smith, they just made him bring him Young's bodyguard. Okay. So, and then from then, is that when they shortly thereafter, I guess after that trial, is when they started moving out to Utah? Yeah, basically, once Joseph Smith died, they knew there was no protection. It was going to become like Missouri again. So they're like, we, we got to just go somewhere where we can be on our own. So that mm-hmm. was the exodus to Utah. And they never knew they were really going to Utah. They just knew they were going west. And that's just happened to be where they stopped. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, in my review of this, I noticed once he once they settled in you know the Salt Lake Valley, uh, Brigham Young made him a marshal, and so then he was a lawman. I guess I would mm-hmm. think for the rest of his time, at least after that. Yeah, he actually was a U.S. marshal for a while. Okay, and then he was a uh, the state marshal. Okay, and then he got a later on. He got appointed to be the count or the uh, the the sheriff for life, basically. So yeah. But he did, he became, he rode the Pony Express. He opened some saloons. He had a brewery company and he, uh, he was actually one of the guys that went over to Sutter's Mill when they, uh, cause it was the Mormons that found gold at Sutter's Mill. Mm-hmm. So, and he was part of that group that he's helping those guys come back. And so, but that's, uh, yeah. He he was all over the place. And then when we had the Utah war, basically, whatever you want to call it, some people call it Buchanan's folly, <clears throat> when he decided, because at the time, Joseph or Brigham Young was the, the governor of the Utah Territory. Mm-hmm. He'd, been a, he'd been appointed the governor. Well, the problem was, again, so this is, they're having these issues with the government again, even at Clear Out in Utah. So before the South, Brigham Young tells Buchanan, we want to secede from the Union. This is our land. We want to be done. And you guys don't bother us anymore. So he was having that conversation with Buchanan. Buchanan didn't take it well. And so he uh, appointed Cummings as the new governor and sent a 1500 men troops out to take over Utah by and install Cummings as the new governor. So that was, uh, that was quite a, quite an experience, but Brigham Young had basically met with Porter and said, I want you to go out and meet this force and harass them all the way here. (laughs) So that's what him and his group of guys did. They went out and met the force. And they would burn the prairie in front of them so their livestock couldn't eat. They would try to catch them downwind and burn the prairie into them. They would shoot out the spokes of their wagons. They would, you know, kill all the game ahead of them. They did all kinds of stuff to hit them. They would poison the water. And these guys just had this this group of soldiers that were just had them. 
it took them almost a year to get there. Wow. And these were the, this group was known as the Avenging Angels. Is this where that term Avenging Angels came from? Was this group? No, no, that's uh, Porter. Yeah. No, that was Porter's nickname, the Avenging Angel or. uh, Okay. So it was just an individual, but that was his. I guess I had heard it sometime back that it was a group of people who were tasked with this, but I guess. Mm. If it was him, you, you're leading. thinking of the, yeah, no, that's another group within the church that basically, so part of the issue when we go back to Nauvoo, where the church started falling apart uh, with Joseph Smith. So in Ohio, they came in and they broke up the printing press that the church had. And the Mormons just, that really stuck with them bad well in Nauvoo now we're a big city there was not so much anti-Mormon but more of a you know not favorable Mormon but they had a printing press as well and so they were publishing stuff about Joseph Smith that was going on with the women in his life and all these different things well Joseph Smith didn't like that so there's a group of some people call them the Dantes some call them the Danites and they were basically a group of Mormons that were tasked with secrecy to enforce church law, basically, mm. through force. And so that's one of the things where Joseph Smith lost favor with a lot of the people. Saints in Nauvoo was Porter Rockwell as part of that group. Went in and took the printing press and destroyed it. And so the saints had just gone through that in Ohio and now for Joseph Smith to turn around and do it as well. That mm-hmm. didn't sit, sit well with a lot of them. So that kind was kind of like, was a bad a, like a, he was letting the power or prestige kind of get to him and in their mind. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I mean, he had, and the thing is a lot of it, you have to understand too, the way the church was organized, there was called the group of 50 and these 50 men kind of controlled everything. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't Joseph Smith just solely. Sure. Because a lot of people think, well, he's the prophet. So whatever he say go, said goes, well, that wasn't the way. It had to go through the group of 50. And then they had to prove. So there were times that, you know, there was a couple people, Richards, that brought that allegations to get Joseph Smith trying to, you know, basically seduce his wife. And so mm-hmm. the group of 50 had to meet and, you know, go through all this stuff and, determine what was going on so okay yeah okay that that clears that helps uh, i was noticing as well you know like you mentioned earlier cliff is compared to a lot of the lawmen you know of the wild west like your wine mm-hmm. herbs or bat masterson's porter rockwell kind of is as far as what he did and you know we said about how many people he killed he's like he was far above all of them he's like in a league of his own sort of thing yeah and it said you know i saw here that he was kind of he inspired other americans to go west like wild bill hickok and buffalo bill like like he was who they were looking up to when they were moving out west and, and starting their own exploits they're like well i want to be like porter rockwell yeah. and i think that's really interesting is he's kind of like to me, he's the biggest lawman I've never heard of. And, you know, I mean, until we mm-hmm. decided we were going to start discussing this. And I think that's really interesting is, you know, we all heard Wyatt Earp. We all know who he is, but yeah. I've, ne- I've never heard of Porter Rockwell before. And so this is all really fascinating to me. Well, the big expansion West, people don't kind of realize sometimes is that the Mormons were already there. Yeah. So that lore, because they had to fight the Indians and they were working, you know, the Paiutes and all this stuff. And so, Porter was actually an Indian fighter, negotiator, and, you know, how it goes with the Indians. You know, you, you're fighting one time and you're negotiating the next time. So that was kind of how it went. One, the one thing he did get in trouble for is was the, the Aiken party. The, the, when he killed the Aikens. So the Aikens were actually, there's a six in the group, four of them were the Aikens brothers, and they were in California. And they're looking to make a buck because gold's not doing too well anymore. And so they know that the this army's coming to occupy Utah. So they want to open up this basically this bar and brothel and you know house 
and to to satisfy all the soldiers and and do all that. So what they're doing though, they've been in Utah for quite a while now. So they're going to go meet the army and get all this arranged before they get there. Mm-hmm. Well, they kind of know about all the Mormons and their defenses and all this stuff. So Porter looks at this group that's going to meet the army as basically spies and traitors going to give away basically their secrets and what they're doing. So Porter and his group intercept them and they basically arrest the four Aiken brothers, kick the other two guys out. Well, two of the Aiken brothers show up in town, bloody and battered and, and basically said Porter Walkwell shot their two brothers in cold blood, point blank, and they escaped. And so they told this story. And so people knew about it and they were going to transport these two, the other two Aiken brothers to Salt Lake. And somehow along the way they were killed as well. So Hmm. naturally Porter wasn't for 20 years, this investigation went on. And actually he was indicted finally for to be by a grand jury at a federal level to be tried for the murder of the Aiken brothers. So, and it, and he was awaiting trial when he died. Oh, okay. So that was, like you said, that was the one time where, I don't know if it's, you could say it was justified, you know, his killings weren't justified, but it, it seems like the one time where he probably took things too far. Yeah. So part of the negotiation, so what happens with the Mormon and Buchanan's Follies, basically by the time this ragtag group of soldiers gets to the Utah Valley, the Mormon militias pretty much got the valley sealed off and they can't get in. Mm-hmm. And so there's just kind of a stalemate and these, they cut off their provisions and these guys are going to die. So um, Governor Cummings comes in and meets with Brigham Young and they basically allow Governor Cummings to become governor and they in return are going to make Utah state as all these negotiations going on and all these guys just end up having to go back home. But during that time, there was a lot of other murders and stuff going on and things that happened. And so basically everything was forgiven except for the Mountain Meadows Massacre and Porter Rockwell shooting of the Aiken brothers. Everybody else was pretty much exonerated, but it was Porter Rockwell and the guys in his group for the Aiken brothers. So and then the Mountain Meadows Massacre, they wouldn't let that go either because that was a bad one. So. Was Porter Rockwell involved in that as well? He wasn't. That was John D. Lee who was okay. who was running that one. So, but him and John D. Lee were friends, were buddies. <laughs> they were buds. Yeah. But the Mormons, they they Brigham Young knew about it. It's you know they know that now, but at the time they denied it. So. No, I'm I'm curious, Cliff. I mean, having lived in Arizona for a while, lived amongst the Mormons as it were and mm-hmm. found them to be a you know pretty much a, for lack of a better word a pious people and very affable and easy to get along with and um you know they hear this the whole thing about Porter Rock one it doesn't really jibe with the modern view of the church or the modern um the way the church presents itself what is the church's position nowadays about Porter do they kind of soft sell what he did or do they accept it as that was a hard time and that's what we had to do or what do they have to say um no most of them look up like when I was a kid I thought he was a hero you know and uh he was somebody that you know stood up for the church when others couldn't or wouldn't and so he's still kind of viewed that way today amongst the church so that's just uh but you know the, the thing is I mean, it's hard to judge history looking back on it because we weren't there. You know, we don't deal with the times, the people, we don't live in those times or deal with those hardships. Um, So it's hard to judge him for that. But uh, that's, that's how he is. Well, I think, you know, when, when you mentioned Cliff, that the prophecy that Joseph Smith called him basically his Samson Mm -hmm. and Samson wasn't a nice guy. But, you know, uh, under the, you know, as Samson was as a judge killing the Philistines and, and such, I'm guessing Joseph Smith definitely and, and Mormons generally would, would say, well, yeah, he was kind of the same kind of guy. He was, you know, doing bad things, but he was doing them at the behest of what he believed yeah. God wanted him to do. 
Well, God and the prophet, and you got to understand too that the, what the Mormon Church had gone through, and all the, you know, the tar and feathering, the murders and lynchings and burnings, and you know, mm-hmm. all of that. To them, they are the Mormons, and everybody else, the Gentiles, are against them. Yeah. So, and no, no matter where they go, they're getting persecuted. So, here's one guy that's actually given back to, you know, what they're getting. So, I don't think anybody minded it. Well, and it's probably yeah, so. it's pretty tough to argue with that narrative too. I mean, that's that's that was the reality. Being those people, they were driven across the country, and um, yeah, I mean, they were despised by their own country. I'm sure everywhere they showed up, it was a big problem. And yeah, they they constantly had their back against the wall. Yeah. So, but I mean, he's he's he was cold and calculating, but he was kind-hearted as well at times i mean he killed his i think bringing one of his Brigham young's grandson or something <laughs> so he just um chauncey was it chauncey or uh who was the chauncey? guy it's, uh he was a the name alone bothers eric <laughs> <laughs> chauncey yeah sounds like he needed no. to be shot yeah it's funny. I'm um, looking at the photo of him and the, he's got these intense eyes. Like he looks like a man that's seen some stuff. He you know, reminds it, me of Grigory Rasputin. With I those was going to say that. Yeah. He's got that like, Rasputin kind of vibe, but then, <laughs> but then there's a story here where he donated his hair to a bald widow who had typhoid. Like, like yeah. what a, what a dichotomy. But Wait, so he cut his hair. He wasn't supposed he to. His, the one yeah, time he, he cut his hair. It's the oh, one that, time he did. And it was actually Joseph Smith's brother's widow. She was a widow. She got typhoid fever and he went to see her and she was completely bald. That bothered her. And so he cut his hair and had it made a wig for her. She got so the Samson wig. Yeah. So wow. that's that's the kind of guy, you know, he, he was. He just. Um, yeah. So. Um, I think it was Bringing Man's grandson. His name was uh, Lot Huntington. So Lot stole a horse and Lot was kind of in trouble all the time. He had killed, there was another guy, um, Hickok, Hitchcock, who was kind of like Porter. And he had, had Lot had actually shot Hicks, Hitchcock and in the hip and he had a limp for the rest of his life for it. So he had been in a run in with the laws a few times, but he stole a horse. They came and told Porter. So Porter got a couple guys and they went after him. Well, this guy throws in with uh, a couple other uh, um, Moroni Clausen and John Smith. And so it's the three of them. And they're at a Pony Express station. By the time Porter catches up to him, he tracks him and finds him. And they basically camp out all night. And when the guy that owns the Pony Express came out to get water that morning, Porter told him, send, uh, send lot out or being send uh send him out and uh he's going to be under arrest and so uh he uh huntington lot huntington comes out and the story is that lot huntington came out jumped on the horse and started blazing his pistols and porter shot him off the horse Hmm. well the real story is that lot basically hit himself between the horse and the stable so he could get a saddle and got the saddle on it. Well, while he's putting the saddle on it, the horse spooked and jumped out of the way and Porter shot him. And he actually shot him with a shotgun. So, and one of the, I think he had nine pellets or something in him and buckshot, but it, one of them went through his heart and killed him. So, and then the other two outlaws that he was with, uh, Moroni Clausen and John Smith, he took them into town and as he's riding out of town, he said he heard a bunch of shots. He ran back to town and they had tried to escape and the two deputies had killed him. So it just seems like wherever he went, people were getting killed. But I mean, he didn't kill everybody. He, uh, he took, uh, it was uh, Henry Heath, who was a notorious murderer at the time. Uh, he arrested him and like two weeks later, he watched him get hanged, hung, I guess. So he was just, yeah, he was the lawman doing his duty, and 
it didn't matter if you were against the church that made it that much worse. Yeah. And I, I, but like you said, he's got this soft side. Yeah. Well, and, and when you said earlier in the podcast, like he wasn't always this way, it wasn't until he was, I don't know if you called driven to madness by all the attacks on him and his family and his father's business. And, and then obviously Joseph Smith that made him switch or flip that switch. And, but then you see these moments of tenderness where he gives his hair to his, uh, the widow and, and like, you can see what's like, he, it's not like he always was looking to kill people, but when killing needed to be done, he was going to do it sort of thing. And I think that's, what's well. And that's where that line, John Wayne, I never killed a man that didn't deserve it. That, that line that John Wayne took from, from him for one of his movies. Um, so it's very yeah, interesting. That was actually uh, the vice president was given a speech and he basically called Porter. Porter was in the audience and he basically called Porter a killer and Porter responded, I never killed a man that didn't need to be killed. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, John Wayne took that, took that quote. <laughs> for one it's of a heck movies. of a quote. Yeah. Well, and, and this guy, he's a larger than life figure. I mean, it's like you mentioned earlier, Jake, I mean, we've, you really don't hear much of this guy. I mean, I, I didn't know about him until, you know, I don't know, sitting around a campfire with Cliff one night and he's telling me this story. And it's just odd that this guy doesn't show up in pop culture anywhere more often. I mean, everybody knows Billy the Kid. Everybody knows Wild Bill Hickok. You can go on forever, all these names. Very yeah. few people know about Porter Rockwell. And that's, I, it's it's surprising that that his story hasn't been told somewhere. Or at, at least nowhere that that I'm aware of. I mean, Jake, have you seen anything about him showing up much in pop culture? Or? I mean, I, I see a couple older movies with you know, like a 1940 movie, a 1990 movie, but largely, you know, there's no there's no Tombstone, right? There's no like right. There's no Netflix series. Yeah. So yet, yet, yet. In, in education, we call that a growth mindset. <laughs> There's no series yet, but we have yeah. the full potential of making it into one. So are we well, going that, over this at our next production meeting, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can produce this if uh we just need I would some like funding. any I would like an executive producer credit on this, please. Thank you. We can get one. Easy. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so there was a quote, and I don't know what I did, but one of one of the writers that actually met him and wrote a quote about him. Um but just how convicted he was in his, how narrow-minded he was in his perceptions of things and his convictions and how he had the, uh, you know, the tenacity of an, an Indian and all these different things where, I mean, I, I should find the quote, but it's, it describes him to a T. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It, he's seems like a fascinating person. Like, I, I, I wish and I'd known more about him and I probably will read more about him now after hearing yeah. that story, because, you know, the, the greatest characters in history are complex and he's a lot more than just a gunslinger or a lawman. I mean, he was a family man. He was a bodyguard. Like, you know, there's a lot there and that's really fascinating. Yeah. I think he, he had been married four times, I think. I, I love it because so I looked at the Wikipedia a, article and said he had gone to said, play with his daughter. Children. It goes at least seven. Like we know there were seven. There was probably more. Like, <laughs> at least six. seven. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. Uh, oh. well, before we wrap up, I, I don't know if I have any other questions yeah. Cliff, for Cliff or Eric, if you have anything or Jeff that you want to ask Cliff or Anything you no, I had, say, a few, I had a few questions written down, uh, but you know, you, you covered them. I, uh, it was awesome. I, uh, this went on longer and was deeper and was way more informative than I thought. Um, it was really interesting. Appreciate having you on, Cliff. You bet. I'll give you one more tidbit of information. So, when he died, he was the longest living member of the church. Oh, wow, that guy, yep. He had been a like, member of the church longer than anybody else. The prophecy was true. The prophecy no was true. That's right. But it's like, I don't know. You just don't expect somebody who lived like this to end up being the longest living member. But 
Yeah, you know, he was baptized when him. he was six, 16. So, but the church, uh, the church, uh, the Deseret News published on his death, they said that uh, he was honorable in all his dealings, true to his friends and his word, firm and faith, feared only by cattle thieves, mobcrafts, and their supporters. There you go. That was the, uh, what the, the church had to say about his death. Model American. <laughs> old model, old West American. Yeah. I mean, he really was. He fits the old West model to a T. He did. A lot of yeah. different ways. He did. I, he was, I, I would have loved to have met the guy. He was doing it before it was cool. That's the, that's the difference. He was the first <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> he didn't know he was doing it. He yeah. was just doing it. <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Cliff. I appreciate you, you joining us thank tonight and uh, telling us this awesome story. Um, as for everyone else, thank you all for joining us to this episode of Dad Bod History. Make sure you like, subscribe, follow. Uh, again, one more time, Eric, what's or Cliff, what's your uh, Instagram? Uh, Mormon Pipes. Mormon Pipes. So if you want to see more about Cliff and his uh, pipe making, it's really awesome. Check him out at Mormon Pipes on Instagram. Uh, for Dad Bod History, I'm Jake. Have a great night. See you, everybody. Okay.